We are starting to plant some herbs and we're going to try to do strawberries. So I'm excited about that. Ooh. Whoa. I have to show you, Brooke, when we get it all set up. Yes. We haven't Daniela. served any of ours yet. I think, you know, uh, we anything that keeps Brianna from house chores, have. she's like, oh, I'm going to go plant some more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the classic, the classic plant queen stuff. I'll never get it. I just don't get it. I'm like, I'm gonna kill this thing. It's an extra <laughs> thing I have to think about. Like I don't, yeah, I don't want I'm it. I'm like my max is like four or five, because I'm just like they need they need all adequately need attention. And if I have twenty, <laughs> I just feel like it's gonna get out of hand. Yeah. See, the manager in me does really well with the <laughs> house house plants. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> Keeping everybody in line. <laughs> Brooks, plant drill sergeant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to the Health Unfiltered Podcast. My name's Nicole, and I am joined with my lovely co-host, Brooke and Roe. What's up, guys? Hello. <laughs> and we so also in unison, have... <laughs> Yes, y'all were very on, on point there. Um, we also have an amazing guest with us, Lindsay. Lindsay, say hello. Hey. So happy to have you on. Lindsay is a licensed therapist in North Carolina and Texas, um, she practices therapy at Jade Integrative Counseling and Wellness in Charlotte. She uses a holistic evidence-based combination of cognitive behavioral therapy, person-centered therapy, eye movement desensitization, I hope I said that right, and reprocessing. <laughs> um, she also uses mindfulness-based techniques to individualize treatment and collaborate with clients of all ages and identities. Lindsay spent the first part of her career in a nonprofit and private practice setting in, rural, in a rural area. These experiences provided a wide range of clinical growth and led speci specializations in complex trauma, anxiety, depression, and eating disorders. In addition, Lindsay has extensive background with working with the LBGTQ community. Welcome, Lindsay. We're so excited to have you on. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Of course, that was a hell of an intro. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's that's awesome that you know you've been a part of so much, and I'm really excited to yeah. to dive in and learn more about it. Um, it seems like you've had a really exciting and diverse career so far. So far, I've learned a ton. So, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> what if she was just like, nah? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like, ah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I read one book and I know everything now. <laughs> I know all of it. I can learn no more. Yes. <laughs> Crazy. What is how everyone are you drinking liking... tonight? Oh, oh, sorry. Go. For I it, was bro. just gonna ask how she's liking like the transition with COVID and more virtual and online, and how that's mm -hmm. going. Um. So I had done a little bit of virtual work before COVID, thankfully. So it wasn't a completely new thing for me. Um. I'm very thankful to still be able to work and practice yeah. during quarantine and everything. Uh, but I'm really excited for the point whenever I can move back into the office and that like the space that I created for my patients was part of the therapeutic experience. Like it's a really relaxing place, but it's clean and it smells good. <laughs> and <laughs> just in general, like it's, just, it's part of the experience that they have. And so I'm excited for the people who it's appropriate for them to come back in the office for them to get to have that. 
Mm-hmm. And just That's to have awesome. like my nice quiet space. My office is like a wonderful space for me to be in. So I'm excited for that. And then just like seeing my coworkers on a daily basis instead of having to schedule Zoom meetings. So I love following you all on social media. Thank you. Yeah, yeah we've been doing uh, kind of like a monthly theme with our social media posts, and I really like the content that it's generating. <laughs> She's like, no bias, but I really like the content. That <laughs> I like it. Well, this month we're talking about self-care, and it's like one of my favorite things to talk about. So Good. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, I know uh, Lindsay was on the um, – or in the – one of the presenters of the summit that we were a part of a couple weeks back. It seems like forever. Um, I think it's only been I'm like biased. two weeks. Uh, but I, I remember you – as you were talking, I was like, dang, Lindsay has such a like soothing therapy voice. And so I can only <laughs> imagine being in an office where it's like, wow, I'm in like the safest zone I've ever been in. <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully you get you get to go back sometime soon. So. Yeah, no, I try to create that space, so I do my best. <laughs> well, at least, you know, in the comfort of your own home, you can have a beverage. <laughs> Maybe not when you're working. Well, what a but, segue. <laughs> what a but segue. when I'm recording a podcast, yes. <laughs> exactly. So what are you drinking, Lindsay? Um, I have got some whiskey. Um, it's a mm. sensei whiskey. It was a gift from a friend, so I have a little bit of that. I was going to do a French gimlet, and I went to make it. And I do not have enough gin. Um, gin. So whiskey it is. Nice. Always a good choice. I got to get on that whiskey train. It's like the third person. It's like hard liquor. And I'm like, dang it, man. <laughs> get on that. <laughs> Time to step back. it up, bro. It's I a good know. conversational drink. Yeah. <laughs> what are you drinking, bro? I have another Voodoo Ranger, but this time it's their Juicy Haze IPA. Oh, there. Nice. Um, I love the juicy haze. That one's good. Mm-hmm. I've never had it, but uh, from that initial sip, I like it. Voodoo Rangers got some really, um, really good beers. Some of them are kind of weird. I think I had their Halloween one or um, a couple. I don't know. Maybe that was like one of our first podcasts. It was like spicy and really strange, but I really like that. So I was like, oh, I'll get another Voodoo Ranger. So. I'm just kind of becoming a fan. It's only a matter of time until I get like the actual Voodoo Ranger tattooed on my body somewhere. So, so Brian, you know, uh... I, know I know a guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you won't put a tattoo on your butt. No, yeah, he has done well, a butt know, cheek tattoo we'll in a while. In a while, uh, I guess I'm going to North Carolina. <laughs> no, yeah, but what about you, Brooke? What are you sipping on? I've got some stem cider it's like a dry apple cider that's got a hint of lavender so it's you Mm. know it's really good very very delicious there's a there's a a place here um we went we went to to i think a birthday lunch or something a couple months back where all of their drinks all of their hand sanitizers all their soap it's just lavender I didn't even know like you could drink you could drink that stuff, but I had like a lavender margarita, and I was like, "Oh, this is interesting." So, I'm sure that tastes really good, Brooke. I do lavender tea all the time for my calming, not so calming. You're calming. I pretend calming experience. <laughs> you said you said, and I quote, "It doesn't do shit." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, that makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. Huh? I think it's supposed to. It's supposed to be like a soothing, relaxing. Like, is it an herb? 
I feel like I yeah. should know this. Yeah. But technically, it's like mm-hmm. an herb that's mm-hmm. so soothing. Uh, maybe I'm just not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the stress is just too high. It can't get to can't get to the brain. <laughs> oh man, what about you, Nicole? What are you drinking? I have a generous pour of Pinot Noir. So <laughs> I just was like, oh, I'm just going to go ahead and fill this up and have enough for the whole conversation. Big girl glass. <laughs> I like it. Yes. <laughs> we all love a generous pour. Oh, my goodness. Cool. Well, cheers, everybody. I'm really excited to, to dive in. Today, we're going to be talking about a really important topic around food guilt, food shame, emotional eating, body image and acceptance, and how the internet plays a really big role in how we view our bodies and how we can also be more mindful with the social media that we consume. And we're going to talk about some healthier ways to tackle these common struggles. So I think this is going to be a really awesome conversation. And let's just dive right into the questions. So Lindsay, what is food guilt versus food shame? What's the difference there? So, um, and I know you work with intuitive eating a lot, Nicole, Mm -hmm. so you and I, I think, speak the same language on some of this. Um, So break it down to just simply the difference between shame and guilt and then apply food to it. Uh, Shame is guilt internalized. So guilt is about... um, actions and it is like I did something bad um I made a bad choice shame is I am bad and or I am a failure instead of I messed up here and so whenever we bring food into the mix it's that I did something bad because I ate this food like this was bad food here and then coming into shame it's oh I ate this and that means that I am worthless or that I have no self-control and so on and so forth. Yeah, definitely that, that vicious cycle. And it's really hard to kind of see the way, the way out of that. Um, And I know that we're going to dive into maybe the way out, but what are your thoughts, Brooke? You know, have you seen this in your practice or what are some ways that like food, guilt and shame come up? in the the one-on-one coaching space? I definitely think one of the biggest things I see is labeling foods as good or bad. (laughs) That would be the most common or clean and dirty. I hate those. That drives Mm -hmm. me nuts, those (laughs) phrases. So I think it's, you know, just from, you know, as a dietitian, I obviously have like a limited scope, but I do think that just working through the mindset of wait, you know, why do you feel like this is bad? Um, And breaking down those barriers to talk more about why it's okay to have things and moderation and all foods fit and kind of those concepts, um, I think is really helpful for people. I I also noticed that's common and that people will feel guilty after they eat something and then they'll tell me as their coach. And I don't know, Lindsay, if you have any good advice for if you've thought this if you've thought this way for many people it's like decades you've thought this food mm-hmm. is bad i can't have it i feel guilty about it how like i don't even know sometimes what to say to when it's just like well it's not bad we need to change our our mindset so you're right that it takes decades a lot of time for these beliefs to build up you start hearing just like small messages whenever you're a kid and then you get older and 
um, like reading magazines, especially I think magazines have made a bit of a shift in how they talk about food and health and wellness. But I know whenever I was in high school, the advice that was in like magazines directed towards teens, especially, was like it was awful. <laughs> it was <laughs> so inaccurate. Um, but to start with, I like to dive into the science of it for people. Um, if they think that, well, I shouldn't be eating bread because, you know, bread's bad and bread makes you fat or these things happen and being fat is bad and so on and so forth. How, where's the facts to back that up? What are the facts against it? And so just really going and analyzing it, but in a healthy way <laughs> with actual like solid information instead of just myths that have been perpetuated. It's a really good way to start breaking that down because then you've got some evidence behind it. And then whenever those unhealthy thoughts start coming in, you've got some facts to back it up whenever you're trying to argue against it. I love that. I didn't think about it that way. That makes so much sense, though, because if you just look at it, it's really just a piece of food that gives you energy. Mm-hmm. And we've mm-hmm. tied labels to it based on what we've heard through... You know, I, it was magazines like Teen Vogue when I was little. It was, it was mm-hmm. my jam. Nowadays, Love I think it's more Vogue. social social media. <laughs> yeah, now it's social media. But I yeah. think um, like breaking breaking it down and just being like, okay, it really is just a glucose carbohydrate. It's things your body uses. We don't need to tie some type of label or morality to it. Mm-hmm. Like it's a carb. You need carbs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's I think just it's a bunch really of carbons too. Sorry, <laughs> no, just that it's like it's literally just you know carbons, oxygens, and hydrogens. Like that—that's all it is, which is, mm-hmm. is really interesting. Yeah, I think it's super interesting too. Of you know, we know that food is this substance that we have to consume in order to stay alive, but there's also this huge satisfaction and enjoyment piece to eating and. I think I saw that a lot during COVID where a main side effect was losing your taste and smell. And that takes that enjoyment and satisfaction part out of eating and not having that demotivates you to eat. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. like being able to enjoy food motivates us to continue to eat. So we continue to stay alive. So you know, it's really important to like change your language around that of like, yes, food is fuel, but it's also something that's like, so we get to enjoy. And that's really incredible, I think. Yeah, yeah I mean, no, it's right. like, oh, how many of our memories are just based on people coming together and just sharing food and, you know, in, enjoying what's going on. So why would you want to take that away? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds so lame. Um uh, Lindsay, I actually have a question before before we move on. So last, uh, I believe the last week, all three of us kind of talked about like how we got into coaching really because like we had our own experiences with it. Um, because we're probably going to hit into some like pretty heavy things. Uh, I, I was wondering if you could talk to us about like how you got started and what you're doing and like, you know, kind of what drove you to to become what you've become today in a professional standpoint? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, it's a path. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I started off with the world of therapy because I wanted to work with kids, actually. Now I primarily work with like older teens through adults. I don't work with kids a ton, but I want to work with kids and with families. And 
I think that started honestly because my family doesn't talk about feelings a whole lot. It's not their jam. Um, they've gotten better a little bit, but I did. <laughs> I'm a very like, feelings oriented person. I'm a therapist. This makes sense. Right. And so I think I was really just drawn to this area of study and this whole career where like, this is what you do. This is how you talk about these things because I was kind of the oddball for it. Um, and then in college, I studied a lot of stuff like parenting, but then I also got the chance to study um, eating disorders, which is quite frankly kind of common, I think, for a lot of female college students who study eating disorders mm -hmm. because we all have all these really unhealthy food messages that we recognize that we've picked up. Uh, but I got to do some research in that area. I had a professor who specialized in um, body image and eating disorders. And so I got to start focusing in on that. And yeah, it just kind of led into it. So I was going to do um, psych and do research. And I realized what I really wanted to do in this area of psychology was talk to people. And I wanted the one-on-one -on -one work. And that was therapy. So here I am. Perfect. That's awesome. <laughs> I just needed some like background. I'm like, why do we trust you? No, it was really just because like, you know, because like you hear that and then you're like, it just helps to be like, oh, okay, that's why she thinks that way. And it's so funny you mentioned that you're like so different from your family, right? Which is probably a good thing, right? Because then it like <laughs> opens up a whole new avenue that uh, they should be thinking about. But, you know, it's it's stuff that, you know, you we talked about how uh, Brooke didn't really grow up with like, you know, like a food, like it was just the dinner wasn't eaten together and it wasn't like this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And which probably helped to kind of guide her to becoming a dietitian. And like, for me, uh, we didn't have anyone in my family that exercised or anything. And somehow I fell into it. So I think we're all kind of oddballs, <laughs> which, is, which is really <laughs> fun when we think about it. So thanks for uh, entertaining that question. Yeah. Nice book through here. <laughs> so now that we've defined what food guilt versus food shame is what are some of the reasons that someone might experience food guilt or food shame well i think you can just think back to the first time that you remember being told that a certain food was wrong or bad or like this is guilt-free food um, which indicates that you should have guilt about other foods or oh. this is good food this is food that you're allowed this because you're little and we're in a concrete stage of thinking. We're not very good at abstract thinking, but we know this is good and this is bad. And I want to be good, theoretically. And so <laughs> I need to do these things that are good. I don't want to be bad, so I don't need to eat these bad foods here. And we're like little sponges. So maybe this stuff wasn't even said to you directly about food that you're eating, but you heard your parents or your older sibling or someone talking about this. Or it was just like, the commercials you were watching on TV and the things you were seeing in um, like all those trashy tabloid magazines that are at the grocery checkout, like right there and stuff. Like what were all those little messages that you were starting to hear that started teaching that some things were good and some things were bad. So that meant something about you probably. Um, also like, have you ever been disapproved of for your appearance or been told that there was something wrong with the body that you live in? Um, which is just body shame. All of those things kind of feed into it. For sure. I remember as a kid, my parents didn't really want to keep sweets in the house and they always tied 
oh, we shouldn't have that in the house or that's Mm -hmm. not good for us to consume all the time. And so I would remember anytime I would go over to a friend's house and they would have all these sweets, like I would just try to eat as many as possible before Mm -hmm. I went back home because I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have this here. And so that was definitely like something once I came into adulthood and went to college and could buy whatever I wanted, I kind of had to like go through that thought process of like, oh yeah, like when I was a kid, I was told this wasn't good and I couldn't have it and was never allowed in the house. And now I'm able to have it in my home. And I definitely have noticed like having that access is so important because now I don't like, when I go to someone else's house, I'm not going to be like, ooh, they have this and I can eat this and whatever. So yeah, I think that access piece is super important too. For sure. That makes a ton of sense, Coco. I didn't even think about that. But as a kid, we didn't really have food, a lot of food period around the house. It was just kind of like living on a, it was like, okay, well, here's food for the next couple days and that it is what it is kind of thing. But I think that that's common. I hear a lot of in coach, one-on-one coaching, people will say, oh, well, I can't have these things in the house. And I really like to challenge people and ask why and like what's the message like why can't you have those things like what's going on there and rather keeping those things around that you truly enjoy and having them in moderation and like learning and working through what that balance looks like for you yeah and I think when you add it back into your home yeah there may be that time period where you do think that you're like over consuming it but as like as that access continues to be there, we've talked about how, you know, that fixation eventually like goes away and it's not as strong, but the more you take it away from yourself, the more like when it's reintroduced, you'll feel like you're out of control around it. There's a um, mom whose blog I've read for years and she talks about the fact that she's experienced an eating disorder in the past and something she dealt with for a really long time and obviously she's a mom now and so she wants her kids to have a really healthy relationship with food and one of the things that she does is they have access to all kinds of food all the time like sweets or something that's always available in their house they also always have like fruits and vegetables and like peanut butter crackers and all different kinds of things and some of that obviously comes from a place of privilege where they're able to have just this wide variety of foods all the time, but they have that privilege and she uses it to make sure that they, her kids don't have any sort of stigma around some certain types of food. Sometimes they get an apple for a snack, sometimes they get some lunch meat, sometimes they want some fruit snacks or something because it's all there and it's not like, oh my God, this candy is here. I must <laughs> eat it because we never have it. Yeah, and, and I totally agree with all that, but I'm also like, I can't have Oreos in this home because I will eat a whole sleeve of it. it and it, it's like, it, people are like, oh, you should work through it. Like, no, no, I, that is working through it. I'll either have the whole thing or a whole sleeve. Like, that's, that's my thing. But I do keep ice cream in the home at all times just because I'm like, I'll have a little dab here and then boom. So I think it's really interesting, though, that you, you brought up that privilege does play such a huge role because if you have the ability to eat anything, right, then you can be like, 
cool yeah i i this candy yesterday was really great but i also am just kind of feeling an apple i'm feeling an orange but if you know you don't have the the socioeconomic means to provide for all of that other stuff and it's like it's just cheaper to have kind of higher processed foods then that's what you get unfortunately and so yeah having the ability to to have multiple things in the home like teaches you how to you know be like i can have some of this and and better listen to your your cravings and and kind of what you're feeling but that's a that's a huge thing that i think for cuz i just thought about it myself for practitioners to be like okay like allow for there to be more options in the home that way you can decide on a whim whether you want you know something that you might think is unhealthy but it's just another food or having like a fruit or something so that was great that was great insight for great advice thanks Jack. um if you live in a food desert and you've got two dollars on you and you're really hungry you're probably going to a convenience store or something kind of similar to that because that's mm -hmm. what you have available to you in a food desert and for those two bucks you can buy a whole lot more chips than you can bananas or apples mm -hmm. a sandwich at the grocery store at the convenience store for the gas stations like five bucks or something like that probably yeah you don't have the money for that but you can buy a giant bag of toffees <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yes i know we've kind of talked about this before but can you break down the restrict and indulge cycle real quick yeah so whenever we have these good foods and bad foods and labeled for ourselves and we say well i'm not gonna eat the bad foods and so we start to restrict them well you've kind of created some forbidden fruit in your mind and it's like oh there's this thing that i can't have and because i can't have it i want it more and so you restrict and you restrict but that also probably means that you know you're cutting yourself out of a lot of carbs and as we said earlier like your brain needs carbs <laughs> it's really essential for it to function that you have carbs and eventually that restriction breaks down you can't restrict something for forever and so because you've been holding back it's like holding a rubber band back real tight and then it'll snap back and you indulge and you indulge in that thing that you probably have labeled as bad food as guilt food and so then you feel like you did something bad and you feel a lot of guilt and you then probably feel a lot of shame because look at me, I am such a failure. Like all I had to do was not eat bread ever again and I could keep this weight off and be the way I'm supposed to be because this is what society told me I needed to be. And so that's what you feel a lot of shame and then you feel really unmotivated. <laughs> you feel really bad about yourself and the cycle just kind of repeats itself over and over again. And another thing with restriction is um, it feels kind of the same way that I explain secrets a lot of the time. So whenever something's a secret, it has a lot of power because it's this thing you can't tell anyone. And the more that it's a deep, dark secret, just the more control it has over you. The more it becomes this big thing, this big shadow or this elephant in the room. And whenever something's not a deep, dark secret, it usually doesn't have as much power. It usually doesn't take as much space in your life. It doesn't have as much control over you. Not to say that you need to tell every aspect of your life to every single person, but it's not this deep, shameful thing. And it's the same thing, I think, whenever we restrict things and this is a bad thing and I can't have this and stuff, it becomes really powerful. And whenever you take that restriction away, 
it's not as big of a deal. You start to have a little bit of peace with it. Yeah, the restriction piece is huge here. And then, you know, we've said this a lot too of you can't shame your way into change, especially positive Mm -hmm. change. And so I think Brene Brown talks a lot about how shame grows in that secrecy place. And so I think really being able to dive into someone like a therapist or a dietitian and really talk about these feelings that you're having around food, especially when it comes to restrict binge, restrict binge is super helpful in pushing that shame outward because you're not carrying all of that inside of you anymore. You're, you're confiding in someone that you trust. And that's a really, really huge piece here, I think. For sure. And I, Love that you brought up Brene Brown. I love me some Brene Brown. Um, I recommend her stuff to my people a lot of the time. <laughs> and so she's a, she's a pretty, pretty still solid have still have across. Just do it, bro. Just do it. You'll feel some things. It'll be good for you. Um, and Brene, yeah, she talks about shame and empathy all the time. And one of the things that she says, Nicole, is that um, shame drives disconnection. Empathy builds connection. And so if you are experiencing a lot of shame just within yourself, you're also feeling more and more disconnected from yourself. And well, we can't really make good choices for ourselves when we're disconnected from ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And then it just drives you also away from those other relationships that you love and cherish because if you can't love yourself, then you're like, Oh, how, how can my partner love me or how can my best Mm -hmm. friend love me or my parents or whoever, because I don't even love me. And so, yeah, whenever you're, whenever you're in that deep dark hole, it's real hard to see how other people could love you too. Yeah. You're so focused on everything that you interpret as something bad. Mm-hmm. So if someone's finding themselves in this vicious cycle of that restrict, overindulge, um, how can how can someone break out of that loop? What is some like helpful tips? The first thing is please don't expect yourself to just recognize, oh, like I have these unhealthy patterns. This isn't good for me, and that you're gonna snap <laughs> out of it. Uh, there's like this really, really small fraction of our world that can just like flip a switch with some things and they are just incredibly structured like that. Um, that's a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of people. So please don't expect yourself to do that because that's just setting yourself up for failure and that's not fair to you. Uh, but after that, just know that this is a learned behavior and if you can learn something, you can unlearn it. It probably just takes time. And something I talk about with my patients a lot is that we have these scripts that we kind of go by. We've learned them. We probably haven't like sat down, like written out for ourselves. Like this is the thing that I'm going to think and believe about this, but they just kind of develop over time. And once you identify some of those scripts, you can rewrite them. Again, it takes time. Maybe you need some help with it. That's where therapy comes in, but you can rewrite those scripts. Mm-hmm. And questions to start asking yourself are things like, how do you define foods? We were talking about good food and bad food and guilt-free and all of those things. And so how do you define foods? How do you define yourself? And how do you talk to yourself? 
a lot of times whenever we sit down for a day to just pay a lot of attention to our self-talk, it is overwhelming how much negative self-talk comes into play. And so just start paying attention to that and try to catch yourself a little bit and catch yourself and catch yourself and allow yourself to make some change over time. And again, if you are struggling with that, you may need some professional help and that's really okay. This is not something that you're everyone's supposed to be an expert in. So sometimes you need some help. Your brain is part of your body um, and all this stuff is taking place in your brain. And because people will say like, oh, it's just in your head. Like this is just in your head. So why can't you fix it? But again, your brain's an organ. Um, and so it's kind of important and maybe you need some help with it because also sometimes people need help with their heart because their heart isn't functioning quite the way it needs to. Um, mm -hmm. And so on and so forth. Sometimes you need some help with your fitness. And so you go and you get a dietitian to help you with your nutrition or you get an a trainer to help you with your exercise and figure out what works for you because you don't know and you need to take care of your body and your brain's part of it yeah we will always drive the message home about how health is this multi-dimensional thing and there's so many parts and aspects of us that need attention and care it's not just nutrition exercise there's a huge mental piece here and then so many other things that we've dived into before. Um, I had a question for you, Ro, of, I know we talk a lot about this restrict binge, like shame cycle with food, but is this something that you see in clients with exercise? Yeah. So that that's, I'm so glad you brought it up because I was, I was about to ask Lindy if like she had like any experience with this, but yeah, all the time. I mean, <clears throat> when you, I know personally, uh, back in, I don't know, 2013, 2014, whenever my life was a complete shithole, uh, you really use like a barbell, like as it was like my drug, right? That and probably some other stuff. Um, but it was a lot of like, you know, hey, if I don't work out, then something is, is wrong with me. Um, I should be doing two days because, you know, it, I, I like disguised it as I'm getting ready for this bodybuilding competition, but really it was that I didn't want to do, <laughs> I didn't want to deal with my shit. So I was like, if I just go to the to the gym, I can forget everything uh, and not have to deal with it and just kind of keep pushing it away. And so, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of exercise uh, di dependency disorder uh, when it comes to people being like, Hey, uh, you know, I, these are, this is one of the few things that I can control in my life is like when I go to the gym and that's really great. And it's like probably a place where you can start to build a foundation when it comes to, you know, having consistency throughout your life. But when you are like, I am going to stop hanging out with friends so I can go to the gym. Um, I'm going to skip classes so I can go to the gym. I'm going to call off a of work so that I can go to the gym, even though I work at that gym. Uh, these are clearly not personal experiences, um, but they are, right? But there's a lot of people that that are like that um, or that go through that at some point in their lives. Um, and some of it is just like I said, that people are pushing away other things that they have to deal with. And this is like the only thing that they can control. And so it's, it's really interesting because when you look at, and I, I'm not an expert in eating disorders or anything, but like 
from what I've read, a lot of that has to do with like, or not a lot of it. Some of it has to do with like control, right? You feel like you are controlling this, this one thing. And it's almost the same when it comes to physical activity. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, you, you can, you can say why I only eat these things because they're healthy and they're good for me. So I'm treating myself right. And in the same vein, you're saying I'm exercising six hours a day because it's good for me because I'm trying to be healthy, but we all know that's not good for you. Uh, mm-hmm. And for the most part, like uh, it's, it's a, it's a negative thing. And I remember we had, um, we were all trained um, when I was at Loyola to, to look out for like uh, excessive exercisers. So people that would come into the gym for like four to six hours and just like sit on the cardio machines or they would lift go on the elliptical lift, go on the treadmill and just like burn those people out uh, or burn themselves out. And the thing is like, you could see them over time, like get really skinny, start to get really pale. They were not in a good mood. And so, you know, we weren't taught how to deal with that. We were taught how to recognize it so that we can tell our boss so that she can, you know, go up to the student and get them help if, if they wanted to or if they needed to. But it's definitely something that, that happens like way more than I think people would like to admit, but also because it's, it's disguised as I'm being healthy. You know, I'm doing what I need to do to, to take care of myself, even though, um, you are not. Uh, so yeah, Lindsay, like, do you, is that like the same, obviously it's not the same thing, but are are there similarities and how similar are those things? And do you have any experience with, with that, you know, someone exercising, too much. Oh, absolutely. Um, what you're describing was orthorexia, which is instead of mm. restricting your the amount of food that you're eating, um, you're just over-exercising and way, way, way too much for what your intake is, or even more than what a person needs to be doing. The only time someone needs to be exercising six hours a day is if that's part of their job because they're an athlete, like a professional athlete or they're a football player or something. Um, but yeah, they're, you sub one thing in for the other, basically. Um, you take out the food restriction, and a lot of times it's coupled with that. Actually, yeah. you'll see the restriction along with the over-exercising or like binging and purging um, along with the over-exercising. Um, and I think it's, it's the same way as people will get into these really restrictive diets where they've eliminated a lot of things because, oh, I'm just eating super clean. I'm eating really healthy. So I'm cutting mm-hmm. out dairy, I'm cutting out grain, I'm cutting out this, and like they cut out and sugar and all the different things. And it comes down to basically that they can eat rice cakes and they can eat fruits and vegetables. And they're allowed like a tablespoon of honey every right. week. And, but it's under the guise of I'm doing something good for myself. And with the over exercising, it can start off as just this is my therapy. Because that's what we hear so much is like, ah, riding to my therapy, weightlifting is my therapy. And it's a coping skill. Mm-hmm. It can be a really great one, but it's not therapy. And whenever only one thing is your coping skill and you have no other way of dealing with all of the crap that's going on in your life, it's really easy, whether that's over-exercising or focusing on your diet or whatever it is, or drinking or whatever, it's really easy for that to get out of hand and for it to devolve into something. 
people don't usually say like, I am going to develop an eating disorder. I am going to develop orthorexia. This is something that I want. It's something that kind of happens and it's a slippery slope into it. Yeah. And it's just as serious as any other form of disorder dating. Yeah. I think one of the things also um, from my experience and also from things that I've seen is it's also just like being uh, like addicted to working out. Mm -hmm. So I I understand orthorexia um, a little more, but I think when I, cause I I gave it, this is a long time ago. I gave a presentation on exercise dependency syndrome or disorder. I forget what it's called. I was not qualified (laughs) to give that uh, presentation like a decade ago, but it was, you know, (laughs) something that I thought was interesting, but you know, it, from there, it's like almost like you're addicted to a certain high, right? Which again is one of those things where, yeah, it's it's good to exercise and like runners' highs get it all the time. But like if you are destroying yourself and cutting out, you know, relationships in order to get this high, then it becomes a problem. And I like that you said that, you know, it's you're really substituting something else and and kind of it's still a problem because this was, you know people have gambling addictions, they have, you know, addictions to different vices. And unfortunately, exercise becomes a vice for some people. And so, yeah, they they look like they're super happy. And, and to, to everyone else, it's like, oh, this person just fucking kills it in the gym and they love it. And it's, it's Gucci. But, you know, you wake up thinking, I got to lift. When am I getting to lift? You know, uh, I can't go do this thing because I have to exercise. And, and you also sometimes like spend money you know, it's like instead of paying bills, right, you're going to buy supplements or you're going to buy, mm-hmm. you know, equipment and stuff that's really just feeding that addiction. So, um, you know, I, 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 I'm I, sure you know way better than I do, but like the difference between like orthorexia and then being like genuinely and unfortunately like addicted to exercise because that's just whatever poison you've chosen chosen uh, at that time or has chosen you, I guess. But, you know. Yeah, for sure. You know, I actually will compare eating disorders to addictions a lot of times just to help people understand and especially the family members understand why this is something that you can't just flip a switch and change. It becomes, it's a dependency and it begins to control your life. Yeah. Definitely. I love that you mentioned that exercise is not therapy, you know, they're two separate things and, um, each takes its own approach and focus. But I know that you also mentioned that negative self-talk piece when it comes to that restrict overindulge cycle. Um, can we talk a little bit more about negative self-talk and how we might be able to combat that? Yeah, sure. Um, there are a lot of flavors <laughs> to negative self-talk. Uh, just like there's a lot of different flavors to anxiety or depression. Whenever someone is starting to work with me and they're telling me that they deal with any of these things, I say, well, describe yours to me because the way you experience it is going to be different than the person that I saw yesterday or the way that I've experienced it even myself. And so to help explain it to me yourself. Um, a lot of times that negative self-talk is building on cognitive distortions. That's my CBT coming in. So cognitive distortion sounds really scary, but that's just our jargon for saying unhealthy thinking patterns. 
So things like black and white thinking or like catastrophizing or personalization, stuff like that. And so the self-talk builds on all its unhealthy patterns. And again, just like internalizing that chain. And there's so many, there's a lot of different like things about parsing this out. But one, like one specific thing I'd say is to work on building a habit of positive self-talk because that negative self-talk is a habit that's accumulated over years and years and years. Um, but be realistic as you're trying to do positive self-talk. You can't just like, don't sit there and say like, I am this, this shit. I am amazing. If that's something that you don't, you doesn't feel true to you. If you're trying to sit here and say like this really incredibly positive thing to yourself and you don't believe it at all, it's going to go in your own ear and out the other. It's not going to sit for you. But making a daily habit, and this is a really annoying thing to do, but if you will just stick with it for a extended period of time, like it actually will help you kind of shift the way you look at yourself. But every day, try to identify something about yourself that is like remotely positive. Like really just kind of like remotely positive because maybe it's hard for you to figure out something you think is actually good. So like what's something that's kind of okay about you? What's something that's all right? And start like start pushing yourself just a little bit and give yourself time like that's you'll hear me say that a lot is just <laughs> give it time don't expect this to be a flip overnight but give yourself time to for it because mm-hmm. Rome wasn't built in a day yeah so, I but think it's develop a positive habit there yeah and with like negative self-talk I think something that like impersonal and like other relationships really kind of like brought awareness to me was if one of like your best friends is around you or whatever and they hear you say something super negative about yourself they're just like wait what like what why do you think that like that's totally not true and almost like taking on the role of a best friend of if your best friend was saying this about themselves how would you react? And then like, kind of like bring that back on you and give yourself that same compassion and whatever pep talk you would give them. Because I remember at my first job, um, I used to be like really bad about talking about just like my body. And one of my co one of my coworkers just like looked at me and she's like, you're really mean to yourself. (laughs) And it was just like, it and she said it with such like compassion like I knew that she wasn't trying to bring like more pain or shame on me and I was like man like you're right even though I feel like a lot of the times we try to like say it jokingly like oh I don't like this or whatever like just say it in a joking manner but she's just like no like you really shouldn't say those things to yourself and I remember in that moment anytime she was around like I just I never would say those things anymore because I knew that she had kind of given me that gentle nudge and then it it trans like it went into my personal life too and has helped me along the way but kind of acting as the best friend or the outsider looking in yeah people will mask their negative self-talk as self-deprecating humor and hello hello call me out like that Lindsay dang I don't mean to I'm sorry Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know have your jokes about things that 
just like there's just there's just funny shit that we all do and our, our quirky shit and our weird shit that we do there it's there like I'm really clumsy I'm also really good at, like reaching for things like in a precarious way because I'm, I'm pretty short and so I can like get into weird spots <laughs> tiny spots and reach things but I bump into things constantly I stress my boyfriend out a lot because he's just like how do you have elbows or anything left on your the edge of your body um and so I make fun I of myself that. for that a lot because it just is what it is and it's not something I feel shame about. Um, but whenever you're making all those like self-deprecating jokes about something that's you actually feel a lot of shame for, like that's just that's that's just putting a funny mask on something. We like, know so much more do. about Roe now. <laughs> no. I mean, I think that was, that was pretty obvious from from the day you met me. But you know, I I, I also think, and I don't I don't know if uh, this is definitely like gender thinking, but you know, guys are are much less in tune with like uh, the sensitive and serious things for whatever reason right like they're up because y'all are allowed to have feelings yeah <laughs> yeah y'all exactly. can be mad or kind of happy you don't need to be too happy because that's weird you can be mad yeah. and kind of happy <laughs> i totally <laughs> out of the, the two approved yeah. emotions you know and, and it's uh, we'll get back to what i was talking about but it's so funny because like I, i've talked to my mom multiple times before about how like I never get too sad. I never get too happy. I just kind of sit in like a, if we have like a scale of one to 10, I'm like between, you know, five, six, seven, 99% of my, the time. And if it ever goes in the other way, it's like, things are really, really, really messed up. But like, you know, it's, it's because I don't know, it's my mom is the same way, which is like, probably why I am that way. But we get into arguments or conversations with our significant others, you know, being my dad and Casey about they're like, why aren't you like more excited about this? And I'm like, I'm I'm very excited. Can't you tell? Like, I'm I'm ecstatic. And, and like, hey, I'm this feeling... is my excited face. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. like, hey, I'm also I'm feeling really sad today. And it's like, what? Like, you sound like a psychopath. But I'm like, this is just how I feel today, you know. Um, but <laughs> I bring that up because that there's there's so many people. Uh, it, and obviously it depends on who you've burned and messed up, but there's a lot of people who will say like negative things about you already. Why would you want to be another person in your life who is like the main person, right? You are your own main person who is like, you're right. You really are a piece of shit. And it's like, what? Like that, that's <laughs> so horrible. Right. And like, you, you should be surrounded by people who, who care about you and understand you and whatever. But at the end of the day, like, even if they're all talking shit in a joking manner or not, you can still go home and you should be able to go home and be like, fuck yeah, like I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm a good human, you know? Uh, and that, that leads to so many more like health benefits, but you're right. As, as a guy, there's, there's only a couple times where I'll be like, Hey man, like I really love you and I'm glad you're here. Like, and then it's like this awkward five seconds and I'm like, all right, go fuck yourself. I'll talk to you later. You know, like that's just, that's just how, how I am, how most of my friends are. And that's probably why we get along really well, but we could definitely do, do more to, to become more like emotionally intelligent or whatever. But I just, I know that there's so many males who are probably listening to it or people that tend to act like whatever that is, uh, machismo or whatever that are like, I could never do that because like my whole my whole uh, personality is sarcasm. It's like, yeah, but like, why is it sarcasm? You know what I mean? Like, I love making people laugh and I love being the, like, most of that coming from my expense, but I also have a really good relationship with myself. Like, I appreciate all the things that I've done for myself and everything. 
I can't imagine hitting myself and I was being like, hey, guys, like I'm losing hair. Isn't that hilarious? Ha ha. And then being like, fuck, I hate that I'm going bald or something. And I still have really luscious hair. So it's, that's not me. But, you know, there's a lot of people that that do that, unfortunately. But, you know, if I just think that it, it needed to be said for anyone that's out there and mostly for myself that like, hey, you are you are fine just the way you are. Keep <laughs> keep doing some self deprecation without to. being mean to yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, there. That's the best way to to put it. There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love yourself, bro. Rose. Like I found my happy medium. <laughs> yeah, you can be sarcastic. I love some sarcasm, and it's a big part of my life. But you can be sarcastic without being mean to yourself, or like I love it. You know, um, Nicole, you're saying like, would you talk to your friend that way? Mm-hmm. If you like, is it a very nice thing if you know that this is something your friend's really insecure about to make yeah. these sarcastic jokes at their expense? Like, no, that's a shitty thing to do. You make the sarcastic jokes about the things that you know your friend doesn't isn't actually insecure about. Mm-hmm. So why are you doing the same thing to yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was having coffee with a friend the other day, too. And um, she was talking about how her roommate was talking about her skin and how she had like a couple pimples or something. And she, she had struggled with like pretty you know severe acne at one point in her life and she's like if she's saying this about herself then what does she think about my skin and you know it really kind of if someone that you care about is talking poorly about themselves and that's also an insecurity of yours then you automatically think do they feel the same way about me and so we just like create this big mosh pit of like shame and you know yeah and um, it's it's just not good But let's let's take a little pivot and talk about emotional eating and what is kind of happening on the biological level level when it comes to emotional eating. Sure. Um, so we're getting to a little bit of like basic brain stuff. Um, so our brain is full of multitaskers. There's all the different areas of the brain. And again, they're multitaskers. So this is not I want to talk about the amygdala. It's two little like little lima beans down in the base of your brain. And they're not the only, the amygdala is not the only part of your brain that has to deal with your emotions and with food and stuff, but it's, it's the one we're talking about today. <laughs> okay. So the amygdala is really important in regulating your emotions. And it's also tied to the flight, fight, or freeze response. Um, a lot of people have heard of flight or fight. It's actually flight, fight, or freeze. And the thing about lizards um, or any other little reptile things, like if they're scared, they either like run away real fast or they like puff up or something. If they have one of those little parts of their body that's cool or they just like freeze, like, oh, you're not going to see me if I like blend in with this stick here, right? Our brains do the same thing because we have our little reptile part of our brain down the base. It's real old. So amygdala deals with emotion regulation, flight, fight, or freeze. And just a side note, this is really important also with trauma. Uh, whenever people experience a lot of trauma, especially in the early part of their life, their amygdala tends to be overactive and they experience a lot of hypervigilance. And this comes into play because there's a lot of correlation. It's not the only cause, but with people with trauma, we see a lot of issues with eating, emotional eating, and binging, and things like that. So amygdala is really important and it likes to override (laughs) the other parts of the brain too because again it's the end of flight fight or freeze and it can be overactivated also with stress (laughs) so stress is one of the things that people 
really identify with whenever we're talking about emotional eating. Um, so whenever you are really stressed, your amygdala is activating the sympathetic nervous system. So this is a moment I like talking about the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system a whole lot. Uh, they're super important. They lead into lots of my like self-care stuff that I love to talk about so much. But the sympathetic nervous system is the part of your brain that is all the alarm bells. It's like danger, danger, help, like send in resources, things are bad, like something's happening. Let me get panicky. So you're stressed, the amygdala's all stressed out. It sends off signals to the hypothalamus, which starts off the sympathetic nervous system, all right? And then you start having all the stress responses that you have. One of the ways that you can calm that down is through eating um, because it is one of many different ways to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. The parasympathetic nervous system is the part I really like because that is the process that is kind of like saying, okay, it's all right, we can calm down. You think about time you've been panicking and you had a friend grab you by the shoulders and they're like, hey, look at me, take a deep breath. That is number one, a good way to help someone turn on the parasympathetic nervous system. But it's also a really good like visualization of what it's doing. It's calming you down. Um, so I hope that kind of made sense. <laughs> that made sense. So you know, I love yeah. learning about the brain. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I try and break it down like in a lot of layman's language because I am not a neuroscientist, I'm just a therapist. So I like <laughs> breaking down the parts. It's like, okay, these are the things that need, you could stick in your brain. Uh-huh. Um, but you can stick in your brain to kind of reflect on later. So you have your amygdala, amygdala it deals with stress, panic response, and whenever it's stressed, it wants to calm down. One of the ways that we calm it down is through eating sometimes. So um, there's other like healthier ways to do that other than just like turning to food all the time. We'll talk, we can talk about that later. Um, but that's why we turn to it. The other part is that food gives us the hormones that we need. So um, you want to talk about serotonin and dopamine and also cortisol. Those are three um, neurotransmitters, hormones that people have probably heard about. So serotonin is like the happiness neurotransmitter. And a lot of people who are on antidepressants are on SSRIs, which work with serotonin. So think of it in that way. It promotes a lot of mood stability. And it's also really important because serotonin converts to melatonin, which is what helps you go to sleep. And sleep is super important for everything, <laughs> um, for your body repairing itself, for you kind of having enough time for your brain to process the day and the things that happen, for you to like store up enough energy to deal with the stressors of the next day, all the stuff, mood regulation, everything. So serotonin, dopamine is more of like the reward neurotransmitter. It gives you energy and focus. And it's like, oh, I feel good right now. So it's very like immediate effect. And the things that you really enjoy, like maybe winning a game or hitting a new PR at the gym or eating some like really amazing chocolate chip cookies, give you a temporary high. And that feels especially good when you're feeling down or whenever you're feeling really stressed. Because remember amygdala, stress, all that stuff, right? So eating those things gives you 
some of that dopamine and some of that serotonin. So cue things like stuff that's just a lot of sugar, starches, stimulants, fatty foods, all that stuff gives you a nice shot of dopamine, a little bit of serotonin there. Um, the other hormone in play is cortisol. So we were talking about stress earlier. So cortisol is um, the stress hormone. And it's really important. I think it gets a bad rep. <laughs> it's like, oh no, you have too much cortisol. So you have too much belly fat. Da, 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 da. But cortisol is yeah. super important. Like we need it because it's how your body handles stress. But if you feel too much stress, your body needs to make more cortisol. And then when you make it, you're going to be reaching for things like really easy carbs, which is why you're going to have cravings there. When people feel stressed, they crave carbs, starchy stuff, things to help you make cortisol help their brain deal with the stress because stuff is going on. So that's why, like, that's why you crave those foods. That's why you reach for them. It's to help calm your brain down because your brain is recognizing, oh my God, something bad's happening. And maybe it's that you had just a really awful day at work and your boss yelled at you and just everything went wrong and you're coming home and you're just like, you don't want to deal with it, but it's all coming in and you just feel it and you're going to go and reach for whatever your comfort food of choice is. And that's the thing that you go for. Um, or it's just chronic stress. It's not just a bad day. It's just chronic stress. And so it's just a habit that you build over and over and over again. And so you feel overwhelmed, you get a break, you reach for the candy that you keep on your desk because that's just your routine. And that's the way you bring yourself some peace because you're craving some dopamine. You're craving some serotonin. You're craving your body's needing cortisol because you are stressed. And it makes the amygdala happy because it calms it down. So that's some layman's <laughs> neuroscience there. I think um, that makes think, sense, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's super okay. helpful to know that this happens at a biological level. And it's not just you. There's something wrong with you as a human being. This is a natural human response because our body, our body's main job is to keep us safe. and mm -hmm. If this is the way that you that the way that your body knows, like, hey, this is what makes me feel safe, then that's what you're gonna go and you're gonna do, and you're gonna bring all of those hormone levels back to the place that they feel best. So I know that, like you said, like this is like the natural response to our bodies, but how are there like ways that we can develop other like coping mechanisms, like to deal with bringing our body back to safety besides like resorting to emotional eating? So the first thing is probably to start using your emotional eating as a cue that something's going on. Like you, you recognize that you get home and if you feel bad, like you reach for X food and that's just the thing that you do. And also, by the way, it's not a bad thing if like Sometimes you have a rough day and you get home and you're like, you know what, I really just feel like some pizza and some cookies for dinner that will taste good and I just want to kick back. Nothing's wrong with that happening sometimes. It's a problem whenever like that is the way that you cope. Or like I was talking earlier, like you have a bad day and you go to the gym and you spend three hours there when you already went this morning and at lunch. <laughs> That's whenever it becomes a problem, whenever it's this like thing that happens all the time. But use your emotional eating as a cue um something's going on and what happened it's um like so you look for that cue and you backtrack what happened there 
And then you can start to recognize what your stressors are, what your triggers are. And that's your cue then to start practicing some better self-care because regular consistent self-care is gonna help you with mood regulation. It's gonna help you manage your stress a lot better. And self-care is not just treat yourself days. Um, so it's like, I think that it's, it's one of those terms that can be bastardized a lot into things that aren't helpful. Um, but self-care is doing the stuff you need to do on a regular basis to help yourself function well. And it's also the stuff that you do whenever it's like you've had an extra stressful day and or bad things, whatever like negative stuff has happened. And so these are the ways that your body kind of recoups. And it can look like a lot of different things. You know, exercise is actually a really great form of self-care, something to do on a regular basis. It helps your body deal with stress a lot more. Um, I really love to teach people about deep breathing and meditation, like guided meditation specifically, not like sitting there in silence. That would be great, but it's really hard for people to do. <laughs> like listening to guided meditations because those are ways of activating that parasympathetic nervous system that I was talking about. Like the system in your brain that says, hey, it's okay, you can calm down. So deep breathing, meditation, exercise, yoga, taking time to journal. If you're a writer or someone who just likes to jot things down, just processing what happened in that day because everything's happened and it's all kind of jumbled up in your brain. And as you're sitting there and spinning it over and over and over and over again, it's real hard to keep it straight. But if you can streamline it enough to get it onto paper or into like the notes app on your phone or something, then your brain has probably organized that information at least a little bit. It may be in a random bullet point list on your phone or something, but at least it's not this like cycle spinning over and over and over in your head. So use your emotional eating for cue. Look for patterns, what's going on before, during, or after it. Because emotional eating can also be something that you do, like you notice things coming up, you're anticipating it. So you, you go to your comfort food of choice. And again, then start implementing just practical, simple changes that can help you alleviate that cycle. Sometimes it's taking five minutes, putting on some calming music and just focusing on your breathing. Sometimes it's going and doing a yoga practice, just whatever it is for you but helps you take some space and kind of reconnect with your body. And this is also, again, like this is an area where you might need professional help. Like those are some starting places, but in all of this, it's like if you've tried working on it and you still like feel at a loss and you're like, I don't know, like I've tried, like it's just not working for me. Or if you just like don't even know where to start to begin with, like you're hearing this and you're just like, yeah, but that sounds so overwhelming and I don't even know where to start or you just like realize that you're out of your league, maybe you need some help with figuring out like what this looks like for you. And also like, why are these things coming up? And like, why are you stuck in this pattern here? And just figuring out the whys. Cause that's another part, that's another thing that our brain wants. I was talking about the amygdala, but like your brain wants to know why. That's one of the things that makes us human. It also causes a lot of grief for us, but it's really important. It yes. makes us people. Yeah. Um, there was one thing that kind of came up as you were talking about dopamine and serotonin, um, drug addiction, 
So mm-hmm. when people are addicted addicted to drugs, they are going for that dopamine hit mm-hmm. per se. And so a lot of the times, and I'm only bringing this up because I hate when I see this, is people will try to compare sugar to like cocaine and they're just like when you eat sugar it's the same thing that if you were doing cocaine and i'm just like that is not true so, so yeah. true. nicole come on <laughs> yeah, it, it, it lights up the brain more scales. than cocaine you know it's just so infuriating because i'm just like like one it's you're trying to shame people for eating sugar and be like you basically should be a cocaine addict <laughs> And so I just wanted to like touch on that so we could kind of like bring light to like that's not what that means. That is a very important point. Yeah, it's like just because these two things both have have something to do with dopamine does not mean that they are at the same level whatsoever. And again, eating some cookies is not a bad thing. I make some really amazing chocolate chip cookies. Like it's not a bad thing for people to eat those. Just doesn't need to be like the only way that you're coping with things because that's probably not the best because again nothing in itself can be your one and only that's not balance yeah for sure building up that that well-rounded options for self-care and how to cope are super super huge here so um Mm -hmm. thank you for like giving us those other practical like tips and ways to incorporate that into our lives, because I think that's super important. Um, Let's talk about body image really quick. What are ways that like, how do you see like body image come up? I know that this is like really huge nowadays where yes, a lot of us struggle with body image, but we're also seeing this amazing aspect of representation for all bodies mm-hmm. and social media, you know, body acceptance, body liberation. So let's just kind of start with what bad body image looks like and how can we kind of like set healthy boundaries and not being triggered to feel bad about our body specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Bad body image is, I feel like I say this with a lot of things, but it can look a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different flavors to it. Like, and some, it's whenever you are having these expectations of your body that just, that's not where your body likes to be. And expecting yourself to fit into a very certain ideal. Like we all live in the US, who, all of us who are um, talking today. And so there's like the Western ideal, and it's just like thin, white, female, like everything is really bounced around that. And so, just god I could go into a lot of different <laughs> go a different whole bunch of different levels of that but yeah it's trying to compare yourself to this one particular box that is in the box that you're in because for one none of us really fit neatly into just like one particular box but we come in a wide array of shapes and sizes and heights and colors and everything else in between so bad body images whenever you're comparing yourself to that thing that maybe you don't match up to and having just these expectations that force you into a lot of hypervigilance and a lot of focus on I have to eat this I have to look a certain way I have to wear these things because this is acceptable here and that's so on and so forth mm-hmm. yeah I think like you mentioned 
our culture has identified this one specific body as the most valuable. And so Mm -hmm. it's helpful to recognize that so few people are able to fit in that description of this is what a good body looks like. And it's not our bodies. It's the culture. It's the message that, you know, they have made us consume our whole lives. And so it is important to recognize that like body diversity is real and that we're not all going to look the same, no matter if we all were able to live the exact same life with the exact same habits. So even look within your family, like Mm -hmm. is every person in your family the exact same height? In the exact same no. size and the exact same thing. No, like mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not. So I'm shorter than everyone else in my family. Like I just am. I'm not going to look like them. Yeah. Do you all feel, I guess question for everyone, but do you all feel like we're starting to see maybe a cultural shift here and not so much focusing on like this one body type? Because I just remember growing up in the 90s, it was... Mm-hmm very thin runway type look that was portrayed mostly in magazines. And I do feel like companies, well, they can always be doing better, but companies are trying to show more diverse humans and body sizes and all kinds of stuff. So I I just wanted to know, in your opinion, do you feel like we're starting to see a shift and things are getting a little bit better? Um, Uh, I mean, I I I think so. I just, I I think that there are a lot of amazing, incredible humans trying to push us in that direction. But unfortunately, I do believe that like fat phobia and stigma and discrimination are just going to be things that always exist. And that is, it's, it's hard when you know that like you're going up against that because you know, so many people like someone can show up and be in a fat body and be exercising and, you know, doing all these other health advancing behaviors, but like still the one thing that people are going to call them out on is being fat. And it's just, how are we going to continue to like push back against that and make room for all of us to belong and be respected Um, so I think that representation is there, but I don't think it takes away that stigma and discrimination and like fat phobia, if that makes sense. Yeah. Makes ton of sense. Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at like, uh, how long it's taken for some, some things to happen that have been fought for, for like a really, really long time. And then you look at something like, um, some newer things that, and, and I say newer because it's just that there's newer national attention to it not that like you know this is a new thing that people are now experiencing um that it's kind of hard to to think that like in our lifetime that things like that will be gone or they'll it'll be like to the point where people will actually be like hey that's fucked up you need to stop doing that because you think about something like as 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 huge as racism or something where it's like this is still a really prevalent thing. Like there are still a lot of institutions at play that will uphold this. And so then you weigh that against the fitness industry that is like a multi-billion dollar thing that is like, hey, if we can keep 
if we can keep telling you that you're fat, you're ugly, you are, there's something wrong with you, then we can keep selling things to you. And I, I, you know, social media is like a horrible things in a lot, in a lot of ways, but it's also really great because then you can choose to follow people that are like sending out these great messages that are like, Hey, like you're beautiful, regardless of who, like what you are and you have meaning, like the amount of space you take up, like doesn't define you, like all, all these great messages. Um, but so I, I think ultimately there's a shift that's happening, but I don't, I don't know if, you know, I don't know if it'll ever get to a point where it's like, yeah, everyone just loves and respects each other because it's never been that way. <laughs> so, you know, and that's, that's the cynic in me. Like, that's just who I am as a person as well. Um, but it's, it's just very, I don't know. I don't really see like a, like a light at the end of the tunnel, um, you know, in, in my mind. There's a lot more representation for sure. Yeah. Uh, there's still miles and miles and miles to go as far as what we see and just across all forms of media actually representing what people in this world look like. It does at the very least open up the conversation and like allow room for there to be a conversation about, hey, I'm okay as I am. Like I don't have to be this way. Look at how things are changing. This isn't necessarily the only way that I can be. So it allows some room for some people to do that work, but you still have to deal with the fact that it is so much harder for people in larger bodies to even get their doctors to take them seriously because everything needs to just be fixed with, well, you need to work on your weight. You need to lose 40 pounds. Lose some weight, we'll see kind of where we're at then. And it's like, no, they have a health problem and the weight's not the issue. Take them seriously. So yeah, there's tons more representation. It's opened up a lot of new conversations and new dialogue, but there's, like I said, so much just institutionalized bullshit that we've got to work to dismantle. For sure. So do you think that body acceptance or body positivity should be the goal here? Or is there another word? I know that we like, there's this thought of like body neutrality. Can you talk a little bit more of like what that looks like? Yeah, sure. Uh, so body positivity is fantastic, but it's also for some people a really lofty goal. And I like to work with people a lot on body appreciation and like you said, body neutrality. I didn't come up with those terms. Like those are not mine to coin, but they're wonderful concepts for people to work with. And I kind of start off with body appreciation and then it's kind of like, that's your stepping stone into body neutrality because body appreciation is about just looking at like, what does your body do for you? Your arms allowed you to hug someone today and what did you see where did your body carry you what were you able to read today what were music were you able to listen to what were just like what were you able to experience this day that you were thankful for and that your body allowed you to do um how did you grow how did you change how did you maybe suffer that day and you realize you're going to take a different direction the next day hopefully and that's an important start because at least in that moment, 
it's a little bit harder to be really hateful towards yourself. It's not saying that having this moment of body appreciation and kind of trying to sit with that for a moment is gonna fix the rest of your day, but it's gonna give you this one nugget where your brain has a rest from that. And you can start to make that shift and you can start to make those changes. And body, part of this is also like why equal representation is so important because everyone needs to see the value of who they are and the body they live in. And at the same time, our bodies are just our bodies. Like we, they're just vessels and we are so much more than that. We are our heart and our soul and our mind. And body neutrality gives yourself permission to just kind of be okay with your body. <laughs> like you don't have to like love it and be excited about it and all those other things, but you can just accept it <laughs> and be all right with it and be like, you know what? My feet got me here today. My legs got me here and I'm gonna move on and think about something else that feeds me today. And I'm not gonna sit here in this place because this isn't a good spot for me. So body neutrality is a wonderful stepping stone. And also it's okay if you just kind of hang out in that place forever because it means that you're just focusing your time on other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting how our bodies are such like a, a vocal point in life. Like that's just all we want to talk about or all we want to focus on, but there's so much more so much more there. Yeah. But thank you so much, Lindsay. I just want to acknowledge you and thank you for providing a safe space for people to talk and yeah. work through things that are heavy and hard. Um, and thank you for coming onto the podcast and having this conversation with us. It's super important. And we also want to provide a safe space on even if it's just a little part of the internet um but yeah we really really loved having you on um what are like what are you up to right now and how can people connect with you in real life or virtually <laughs> first of all thanks for letting me come on and talk with y'all this is i know we talked about a lot of things and it's just kind of scratching the surface <laughs> like every question you ask i can get going and like there's there's so much more to talk about with it there's so 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 much more but we we have to touch the top of it and kind of start those conversations. Uh, but these days, I, well, if I'm at home, I am hanging out with my boyfriend and with my dogs, Leo and Ranger. And if it's the weekend, we're probably hiking. And, um, but outside of that, I'm probably at work. And um, to get in touch with me, you can go through our social media. It's jade underscore CWC. Or you can reach out to us at um, jadeintegrativewellness.com. And yeah, I'm taking your patients. And feel free to reach out. Awesome. Yeah, I'll be Thank sure you to, for I'll be also sure leading that. Rose first therapy session. Yeah, I, was about, <laughs> I, was, I was about to say, uh, for myself and anyone else, you have a Venmo, so we can just give you like $5. <laughs> yes, we need to give you money for this. <laughs> 
don't oh think no. That, I don't think that my licensing board approves that. <laughs> it's <laughs> very under the table. It. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll send you alcohol and be like, here's that whiskey. Uh, <laughs> Rose like, I'm never coming back, but here's $5. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she gave me things to think about, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you ever come back on, just let me know so I'm like, oh, I'm so busy that day. No, I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think I can be on here. No, but I, I think it's really great. Um, and like I talked about, like it, I, I'm pretty open about the stuff that I've, you know, have been through like mentally a couple years back, eight years ago or whatever. But it, it it's it's so great. I I never had like a, you know, a really, uh, I, I guess like diagnosed or anything. But it was still like a horrible time. So for people, you know, if I was into more therapy back then, or if therapy was even socially acceptable, because it's only 2021, you know, and you have to think about. Only the past couple of years have been like, yes, do it. It's great for you. But like 10 years ago, that unheard of. You know what I mean? So it's really great that there are people out there like you that are like, hey, we can talk about this stuff. And it's specific to this stuff. You know, it's not just like work is stressing me out and blah, blah. Like it's about eating habits. It's about exercise and things like that. So um, I really hope anyone listening, like it you know, if, if they needed it, it like struck a chord in, in their head and they were like, okay, yeah, it's time for me to get some help or at least start to move in that direction. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for coming on and I'll probably go into a little hole for the next couple hours and just be like, I need to, <laughs> I need to think about some stuff. You have to really stuff. get time to practice some self-care, maybe do some breathing, maybe some journaling. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. I don't make just everyone open, journal that sees me. Open up Bro, another like, beer. writes a song and he, like, gets on Instagram <laughs> and sings it. I'm like, Adele, I'm coming for you. <laughs> you know, you don't have to have, like, a diagnosis to go to therapy. That's also mm-hmm. we all so have true. We all have stuff. Like, we all have stuff just shit we've been through and mm-hmm. sometimes you need some help sorting through it and that's okay because maybe it's not your area of expertise maybe maybe you need some help I compare it a lot so like we have stuff in like some people like to just like frame everything back in the closet um it, most all of us like we know someone who's like super messy and like their closet is like a scary place that everything will fall out on them and we also know people who like have everything organized right <laughs> They go through things regularly, fixing things out. There's some balance there. And sometimes we have all the stuff in our life just kind of crammed in the closet. And therapy helps you kind of clean it out and organize it. It also means that maybe in the middle, like everything is kind of chaos because you're kind of opening things up. <laughs> but that's also like why you go to therapy because you do it in a way that helps you live your life still. And eventually you have to take everything back in the closet but it's not like this cause of the doom <laughs> that's scary and everything's going to fall on your head and knock you out whenever you open the door. You can reach in and grab stuff when you need it. Love it. I love that so much. Mm-hmm. I, like, awesome. I like analogies and I like metaphors. Um, <laughs> I held myself back a little bit today, but I think it's a lot. <laughs> no, you did amazing. Thank you so much again, Lindsay. Um, but you. yeah. Uh, just a little quick outro. Ro and myself are currently taking new clients. Ro is our master of all things exercise and performance. I am the non-diet, intuitive eating, health at every size dietitian. And Brooke, 
our our badass Brookie is specializing in athletic <laughs> performance and body recomposition. And you can join the waitlist to work with her once her one-on-one no- nutrition coaching opens back up. Please follow us on Instagram at Health Unfiltered Pod and keep those awesome questions coming. We would love to hear any questions or feedback that you have from this episode. Rate us, share us, leave a review wherever you can, and we will see you next time. Ready to cue that music, Brookie? Cue that music. (laughs) (laughs) Peace out, y'all.